Do you remember in the Charlie Brown Christmas special? Do you remember Charlie Brown's Christmas tree? Hard to not remember that, isn't it? I mean, it was, it was the tree that nobody wanted. It was very few little limbs and very, very few needles on it. He put one ornament on it, and it drooped over to the side. To the side. I'll lean this way. <laughs> it put one ornament on it, and it just drooped over to the side, and it was the tree that nobody wanted. Nobody except Charlie Brown. I've got a feeling that some of you feel like the tree that nobody wanted. Maybe your husband or your wife walked out on you for somebody else. They were looking for a newer model. Or, or maybe it's at school. You, you just don't seem to fit in with, with any group. And you just feel so lonely and, and kind of a, an outcast. Uh, maybe you're looking for a job. And, and you just put in a lot of resumes. But you're not getting any offers. Or, or, or maybe you're in a company that's downsizing. And, and they're kicking you out for a younger employee that won't cost as much. Or maybe you grew up in a home where your dad was never there and, and he never told you that he loved you and you got the feeling that he didn't. And you just kind of feel like that tree that nobody wanted. Or perhaps it was a label that somebody put on you. They called you stupid and you believed them. Or maybe they said you're an accident in a moment of anger. Maybe a parent cried out and said you're, you were an accident. And you haven't forgotten it. Or, or maybe it was a label that you put on yourself, like loser, failure, can't do anything right. You perhaps may feel like Charlie Brown's Christmas tree, the tree that nobody wanted. But if the manger shows us anything, the manger is proof that God thinks you're special. The manger is proof that somebody wants you. That God desperately wants you in His eternal family. Now, as we think about the manger, there's some things we can learn today from that manger. But, but let me start with a song. It's called the first Noel. I'm not going to sing it for you. But it's called the first Noel. How many of you have ever sang that song? Raise your hand. The first Noel. Alright? Now, how many of you can tell me what Noel means? Isn't that funny? We, we sing it all the time. It was the same in the first service. We sing that song all the time. And just this year, I started thinking, I wonder what Noel means. And I started trying to find out, what does Noel mean? So I started asking people. You know what I found out? Nobody knew. So I, said, I thought, well, I'll look it up in the dictionary. And I looked it up in, in two or three different dictionaries. You know what I found out? They didn't know either. I'm serious. You start reading about it, and they all have theories. They say, well, it might be this, it might be that. It might be from a French word. It might be from a Latin word, but we really don't know. But the, the basic premise that I, or the basic answer that I found was the first Noel basically means either birthday or Christmas. So you're talking about the first Christmas when you say the first Noel. There is something you and I can learn from the first Noel. There is something you and I can learn from the first Christmas. Let's read about it in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. 
Luke chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 8 through 12. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Like the angel, I've got some good news for you today. And I want you to think about that first Noel. I want you to think about that first Christmas. I want you to think about that manger especially. And realize what that manger signifies to you and I. First of all, the first Noel or the first Christmas helps us understand that Christmas is a message of love. In verse 10, look what the word says. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, who was the angel? Talk to me, class. Who was the angel referring to here? Who was the angel speaking to in this text? Shepherds. It's very interesting to me that the very first people to hear the good news of Christmas was not the government leaders. The angel didn't go to Nero. Didn't go to Herod. The very first people to hear the good news of the Savior were not the religious leaders. The angel didn't go to the high priest. It wasn't to the theologians that the angels appeared. When God announced the good news of the Savior's birth, He did so to ordinary shepherds. And that is significant. Because Christmas must be for common folks if it means anything at all. You see, although we get hung up on titles and status and popularity, God never does. It's, it's amazing how much we get called up in that, though. I'm on Twitter, and some of you are on Twitter, and I have a, a little over 300 followers on Twitter, people who follow me on Twitter. And I don't let that impress you because it's not that big of a number. But I have found out something. I can boost that number if I want to. Just this week, I got notification that I could buy followers for Twitter. I'm serious. Said you can buy 10,000 or 20,000. So if I wanted to look really important, I could buy 20,000 followers so that when somebody checks me out on Twitter and say, oh man, Keith, must, he must be somebody. Look at that. He got 23,000 followers on Twitter. He's an important person. Did you know people do buy followers on Twitter? You know why? Because we're so hung up in titles. We are so hung up in status and popularity. But I want to tell you something. God isn't. God isn't. And one of the reasons God isn't is because his title is the biggest title of all. His status is the biggest status of all, which is God. God announced his birth, or the birth of his son, first to some anonymous shepherds. Can y'all turn this up just a little bit up there? He announced his birth to some anonymous shepherds. Now, for that to really grab you, you need to understand that shepherds were considered outcasts in that day. There's two reasons why they were considered outcasts. They were 
ceremonially unclean for two reasons. Number one, their work prevented them from washing enough to meet the requirements of ritual purity. They were ceremonially unclean because they had to be with the sheep and and taking care of sheep is a nasty business. And and in order to take care of the sheep, you had to stay with them all the time. And you didn't have time to go wash your hands and be ceremonially clean. So they were considered unclean for that reason. Secondly, their work prevented them from going to the temple at the appointed times. They, They couldn't go to the temple when others would go because they were shepherds. They couldn't just leave their sheep. They had to stay with the sheep. And so that's the reason that they were considered outcast in society. It's, it's amazing, really. The ones who were raising the sacrifices for the temple people were considered outcast by the temple people. Yet the announcement of the ages, the good news of the world, was not given at the temple. The announcement of the ages was given to some anonymous, outcast shepherds. And I think that was God's way of saying, my love is for everyone. Literally, for everyone. Look, look how he says it in verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you, you shepherds, good news of great joy that will be for, what's that next word? All the people. All the people. Not just religious people. Not just famous people. Not just rich people. But it's good news for all the people. And that's why he's giving it to shepherds first. See, the message of Christmas is indeed for regular people. Aren't you glad that you don't have to meet some extraordinary qualifications in order to come to God? You don't have to have a certain status. You don't have to have a certain amount in your bank account. But it's for all the people. Whoever you are, whatever you do, you can have Jesus in your life Because he's not looking for extraordinary people. He has come for all the people. The message of Christmas is a message of love. But secondly, Christmas is also a message of salvation. In verse 11, it says, Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord might want to note, it says, a Savior has been born to you. The story is told that on a cold February morning in 1809, two travelers met on one of the roads in Hardin County, Kentucky. As they met, one asked the other a question. He says, is there any news down in the village there, Esri? And Esri replied, well, Squire McLean is going to Washington to see Madison sworn in, and, and I hear that from Spellman, old man Spellman, that that Bonaparte fellow is taking most of Spain. And then Ezra asked his question. He said, but what's new out here in this neighborhood? Ezra, what's, what's new out here? And the old man said, that nothing at all. Nothing at all. He said, there, there's no news in this village except for a baby down at Tom Lincoln's place. Nothing ever happens out here. That baby down at Tom Lincoln's place was Abraham Lincoln. One of the amazing things about God in our world is that God is able to alter the course of history by the birth of a baby. You can see that pattern throughout the Old Testament. The birth of Isaac marked the beginning of the patriarchal period. The birth of Moses marked the beginning of deliverance of a nation. 
The birth of Samuel marked the beginning of the history of kings. And when God works in history, He often works through the birth of a child. That's exactly what happened in that first Noel. Somebody said when there's a wrong that needs to be righted, when there's a work that needs to be done, when there's a truth that needs to be preached, when there's a world that needs a Savior, God sends a baby to do the work. The angel was very clear about the work that God had sent Jesus to do. He said, a Savior has been born to you. Those words ought to give you a little bit different perspective about God. Some people see God as somebody who's just trying to take all the fun out of life. And if you become a Christian, then you can't have the fun anymore. If you become a Christian, then you've got to be holy and, and you can't have any fun any longer. Reminds me of the little boy I heard about. His name was Jared. He's five years old. He's quite a rambunctious little boy. And, you know, if you've got a rambunctious child and all of a sudden you realize that things are quiet, it's usually not a good sign. Well, it was quiet. It's Christmas Eve. Jared's mom went looking for Jared because she knew he was into something, apparently. She found him. He was sitting on his bed, just on the edge of his bed, hands folded, not doing anything, just sitting there. She said, Jared... What are you doing in your room? He said, nothing. With you and God and Santa Claus watching, I can't do anything. (laughs) That's the way some people view God. He's just watching, waiting for you to mess up. God's just going to unload on you if you mess up. You, he's watching, and you just can't do anything. I want you to hear this word Savior, what it really means. You might want to write in the column of your Bible, it could be translated rescuer. Read the verse with that word in mind in verse 11. Today in the town of David, a rescuer has been born to you. Is Christ the Lord. Now, let me tell you something. When somebody comes to rescue you, it's because you can't get out of whatever you're in. Are you tracking with me? When somebody comes to your rescue, they come to do something for you that you can't do for yourself. When somebody comes to rescue you, you are in desperate need. Today, in the city of David, a rescuer has been born. Now let that sink in for a moment. You know what the manger teaches us? The manger teaches us, if it shows us anything, it shows us this, that we have a problem for which there is no human solution. Every time you see the manger, you ought to think about that. That's God's way of saying, you've got a problem, the world has a problem, I have a problem, you have a problem. We have a problem for which there is no human solution. The manger shows us two vital truths. It shows us the depth of our sin. Our sin was so bad and is so bad that there was no human solution for it. God had to send His Son to be our sacrifice. The manger also shows us the depth of God's love that he would be willing to send his son from the glories of heaven to a manger. See, Christmas is not a holiday. Hollywood has sold you on that. Christmas is not a holiday. Christmas is a rescue story. Friend, to you has been born this day a Savior 
a rescuer who is Christ the Lord. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, we were trapped in sin. We were unable to free ourselves. We needed somebody to come to our aid. We needed someone to step in and help because we can't get out of sin by ourselves. And the angel said to the shepherds, I bring you good news today. I bring you good news. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Matthew one twenty one. The angel said to Joseph, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came to deliver you and me from the power and the effects of sin. There's a story, we don't have time to read it, but there's a story in the Bible where there was a lady who was caught in adultery and she was an adulterous woman and she was living with a man and she had had five husbands already and she met Jesus one day at a well and she was radically changed and saved. She just became a new person. She went into the town to tell people the difference that Christ has made in her life. And when they came out, they saw Jesus, they heard him, and then the people of the town said, we now recognize that you are the Savior of the world. Really amazing when you think about it. They saw what he did in that one life, and they determined... He's not just her rescuer, but he is the rescuer of the entire world. The message of Christmas is that there is someone who cares enough to step into our world so that you can step into his. And his name is Jesus. Say that name with me. Jesus. Say it with me again. Jesus. There's a third message in the manger. On that first Noel, that first Christmas. Christmas is a message of love. It is a message of salvation. But thirdly, Christmas is a message of hope. It's a message of hope. Look in verse 12. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying. Notice this. Lying in a what? In a manger. Someone has said that the greatest enemy of man is not disease, it is despair. Hopelessness is an enemy that's hard to fight. When you lose hope, you don't have the will to fight anymore. When you lose hope, you're not sure you want to keep struggling. This is the time of year when lots of people battle hopelessness. In fact, you probably know this, but there are more suicides in the month of December than any other month. Because the holidays remind us of how hopeless our lives are. Hope is the one thing we cannot live without. We hope that things will get better. We hope that tomorrow will be better than today. We hope that God's going to somehow work in this situation and bring something out of it that's good. Hope is what keeps us going. Hope is the fuel that helps us keep going forward. The message of Christmas is this. Because of Jesus, once you, because of Jesus, once you understand what the what the manger is all about, you will see the greatest example of hope you can ever see. see. I want you to think about it in these terms. In verse twelve, look at verse twelve. It says he was lying in a manger. We we 
kind of romanticize that sometimes. We have our Christmas plays, and we have this nice little wooden manger made, and we put hay in it, and it all looks so nice, and we got a light shining on it or coming out of it, and, and we got this beautiful little baby we put in there, and we kind of romanticize all of that. Can, can I tell you what a manger really was? A manger was a feeding trough. It's where the cattle ate out. Now, guys, I want you to think through this with me. Or ladies, you can too, but, but I was just thinking from my own personal perspective. The day that, that I was in that room and Kelly was born and Lauren was born and Jonathan was born, they handed me the baby. I cannot imagine ever taking that newborn child and placing that newborn child in a feeding trough. Ladies, how would you like to do that? You take that little baby that you've just given birth to and they've wrapped him up in nice little clothes with a nice little towel and you say, oh, just put him over, over there in the feeding trough. You wouldn't put your newborn there. You wouldn't put your grandbaby there. You would pitch a holy fit if somebody put your grandbaby there. And yet, listen to me, Jesus cared enough about you that he was willing to go from the throne room of heaven to a feeding trough. From the glories of heaven to a feeding trough. And that says to me, there is nothing in my life that's too dirty for him. There is hope. There is hope. If he would leave the glories of heaven and go to a feeding trough, there is nothing too dirty in my life for him. Two or three weeks ago, we went to Williamsburg, Virginia. We, we go there on vacation every year now. Uh, that's where Lisa's family meets. and So we go up there, and, and it's called the Grand Illumination. Have you ever been to Williamsburg for Grand Illumination? Okay, you're not missing a whole lot. I don't know why they call it the Grand Illumination. They don't light up anything. Now, we go because of family. So, okay, so that, that's the reason we go is because of family. And it's beautiful. It's, it's nice. But, but, but thousands and thousands and thousands of people go there at the Grand Illumination. I mean, thousands of people. And so... I was trying to find a place where we could eat, which is hard when you've got thousands and thousands of people all around. And I, I said, well, I'm going to go look for something, and you all kind of stay here. No sense in all of us walking around. Uh, if I find something, I'll call you. And so I went into the first restaurant. It was kind of weird. It, there was a restaurant you went into that was a pizza hut kind of a place. It wasn't really pizza hut, but it was pizza and pasta. And then there was a hallway that led into another restaurant. In other words, in order to get to restaurant B, I had to go through restaurant A. Now, the, apparently there was probably a front door somewhere for restaurant B, but I couldn't find it. So I went through. I didn't want pizza and pasta. I wanted something a little better than that. Went down the hallway into restaurant B. It looked like it'd probably be a pretty good place to eat. I, I came out of the hallway, and there was people everywhere. There was lines, as you would expect. I mean, it was just really crowded. There was this big, long line, and I kind of came into the middle of the line. So not wanting to cut line, I said to the lady to my right, I said, is this the line? She didn't say anything. Okay, must be a Yankee. And then I... (laughs) 
It's the drugs, I'm telling you, it's the drugs. <laughs> if you are a Yankee, please understand I married one, all right? So I love Yankees. Anyway, anyway, I said, I said, to, this, I said to this lady, is this the line? And she didn't say anything. And, and so I thought, well, I'm not going to cut line. I, I, I went down to the end, came out, went down to the end of the line and stood at the end of the line. I noticed there was a computer screen down there. And I thought, man, that's a big line, but I'll wait. And then I noticed that there was women in line. I noticed I was standing in line for the ladies' bathroom. I did, yeah. And that was before I was on drugs for my back. <laughs> it didn't take me long to realize I don't belong here. Now, it's good to laugh about that, but have you ever come to the realization maybe the Spirit of God nudged you a little bit? And you're involved in some stuff you shouldn't be involved in. Has the Spirit of God ever nudged you and said, you don't belong here? What are you doing here? You don't belong here. Maybe you're sitting at a bar somewhere and you're just, you're just doing this and the Spirit of God nudging you saying, you don't belong here. What are you doing here? Maybe you're in the arms of somebody who's not your spouse and the Spirit of God nudges you and says, you don't belong here. What are you doing here? If Christ came to the glories of heaven, to a dirty stable, and into a dirtier manger, then there is nothing in your life that's too dirty or too nasty for him. And in the dirt of your life, he can bring hope to you and say, you don't belong here. I've got something better for you. You don't belong here. I've got something different for you. And I know you're involved in some very bad things right now. And I know it's pretty, some pretty dirty stuff you're tied up in. But I want to tell you something. I've got something better for you. You don't belong here. See, Christmas is a message of hope. It's a message of love. It's a message of salvation. It's a message of hope. He stepped into our world for our sins so that we could step into his world and live forever. It's a message of hope. And I don't know what you might be tied up in. I, I don't know what it is that the Spirit of God is nudging you. And he's telling you right now, He's speaking to you. He's talking to you. I care about you. Will you allow him to be your rescuer? Will you allow him to be your deliverer? Will you allow him to be your savior? That is why he came. That. Let me pray with you. With every head bowed. Every eye closed. Ron Hutchcraft said that hope was born in a stable. Hope was purchased on a cross. Hope was guaranteed at an empty tomb. 
you and I have a problem for which there is no human solution. But God does have a solution. And His name is Jesus. Why don't you ask Him into your heart today? He longs for nothing more than to find an open door where He can make your heart His home. Today would be the time where God is speaking and He's nudging you. He said, this is for you. I'm speaking to you. Keith was talking to you. Today you need to respond by placing your faith in the Lord Jesus and asking Him to be your rescuer. To do for you what you can't do for yourself. To bring you out of something you can't get out of. To change not just your situation, but to change your life. I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, someone even today would would bow their heart and their knee before you and declare you to be their Savior, their Deliverer, their Rescuer. And I pray that in Christ's name.